Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we've got a show for you in this one. Thanks for checking in the best Houston sports podcast, our Texans, Browns, postseason, postgame show. Robert with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani, out at NRG Stadium. And, Sean, that was fun, man. That was fun. That was awesome. The best ever? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I had a whole bunch of people today that actually texted me that were in the stadium saying, man, this is the loudest I've ever heard NRG in my life. Uh, pretty crazy, right? I mean, I have my stories, my experiences. I don't know if today matches up, if it kicks everything else's butt. Recency bias is a thing. I don't know. Maybe I'll just go like D'Amico and Casario have been saying all year. Last year doesn't matter. Years past don't mean a thing. It's about the 2023-2024 Houston Texans. This was freaking awesome. I got to tell you this. I don't remember watching a more complete football game on as big a stage as this. Maybe that Bengals game, but that wasn't as dominant. That was dominant 31 to 10 back in 2011, but it wasn't 45 to 14 dominant back-to-back pick six dominant. Your quarterback just playing flawless football offensively dominant. This was this was one for the franchise history books. This was the most dominating playoff performance in Houston's 50-year NFL history. Oilers, Texans combined. It's not even close. If you put that first quarter against the Chiefs a few years ago in the playoffs with the first two and a half quarters of a certain Oilers-Bills playoff game, that's as close as I come, Sean. It didn't quite finish they didn't quite finish those two games but they finished this one all right and let me say this also you definitely needed davis mills again in the fourth quarter of a browns game but this time uh for all the right reasons and cj stroud by the way first playoff game as a rookie as a rookie 16 for 21 274 yards three touchdowns zero interceptions he's a rookie Yeah, there's been two times this season where we've all, if we're being honest, wanted to see Davis Mills in an actual football game. And two of those times have come within the last month. And it's been in garbage time when the Texans have won games handily uh, and had had it sealed up. So um, it's uh, it it was you couldn't have drawn it up any better than this. I was talking to George Fan about it after the game. Uh, You know, he obviously been able to be in that next man up role a couple of three different times this season back at right tackle for them, what it meant for him, what it means for the team, the message it sends, uh, all good stuff you can check out on uh, my Twitter at Sean Bajani. But what what he was saying is that, you know, offensively, defensively, the complimentary football that they played before, you know, you can reference Jacksonville, you can reference Pittsburgh. Um, This game, it's the cream of the crop, at least as far as this season is concerned. And again, to do it at a point in time in which, look, bodily, you know, like guys you could see with your eyes, never mind how well their bodies are actually functioning. Um, they weren't 100%. They were as far from 100% as you probably could be and still suit up in an NFL uniform. Will Anderson, I don't know what you'd had to do to peel that guy off an NFL football field, but that is the kind of stuff, Robert that fuels this team they see a young guy a rookie playing through pain and then getting stronger getting better 
within the game itself, that sends a message. This team was out for blood today. Yeah, you saw his foot sort of twitching, and he was like a horse at the Kentucky Derby that you knew was going to win because he was so ready to go as he was getting into the gate. And I just want to remind everybody out there, we need you in the comments. If you're watching, we want to hear from you. Tell your friends, text them, uh, let them know that we're up and running and ready to go, and we want to hear from you. And we're going to unpack it possession by possession because, Sean, I want to relive this whole thing again. I want to just talk about it all over again. Brown's first possession, Denzel Perryman, Denzel Perryman, big tackle for loss, helps lead to a quick punt. Texans' first possession, also one and down a punt. But Schultz, a key drop on what could have been a lot more than a first down, a rare mistake there for the Texans. But Browns go three and out with their next shot, which leaves the Texans in great field position near midfield. Stroud hits Nico with a big third down pass. Uh, gets Nico at the three-yard line. But, Sean, they couldn't punch it in. Near disaster, shovel pass, an unusual Stroud keeper before a third down completion. A little weird sequence by Slowick in the play calling right there, I thought. Stop it right there, okay? What did you think this game was going to be when you saw just the first couple of offensive possessions and the first couple of defensive possessions? Look, the second one, a little bit better than the first, right? Um, you, you get the three and out, the pressure by Anderson on that third and five looks strong AF. But my gosh, offensively, Schultz dropping that can of corn. Um, it was just, my gosh, you get an explosive and then boom, like that. Here we go. You're shooting yourself in the foot. If it's not penalties, then it's just not executing. And Schultz has had a couple of those here within the last month. That was his only... He only had one catch today. Who knows what kind of tone that could have set early on. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise. You know, maybe Bobby decided to dial some different things up and go in a different direction once he saw that. But, boy, when the Texans have to settle for three points after a Nico Collins 38-yard catch, um, you know, you dial up two explosives and two straight possessions. It's like, oh, boy, this is what you can't do. You can't settle for field goals. You can't shoot yourself in the foot. You were just like waiting. At least I was like a ticking time bomb. When's Flacco and this offense going to strike? When are they going to make you pay for your own faults? It it came, but the Texans were able to stifle it almost immediately. I want to say hello to Noel, who's uh, watching a regular fan of ours. Good to hear from you. Um, You got that right. Sean, you're a little worried right there, of course. But Brown's first play from scrimmage, next possession, you got more worried because Steven Nelson beat over the top, 45 yards to the 30. Nelson beat deep a couple of times. Remember the last Browns game? Sean, that sets up a Browns touchdown, and this is what you're talking about. You're like, oh, God, here here we are. We're we're doing it again against the Browns, not getting, you know, a a touchdown out of that. And then they come back with a big play, that one of those jump plays. Yeah, it was, it was too easy for the Browns on, on their third offensive possession. I mean, they went six plays, 75 yards. It took three minutes and 20 seconds to do it. They had one chunk play on a first and 10, that 45-yard catch. They, they didn't put the Browns in any tough second and long, third and long situations. Petrie was absolutely terrible on that series. Um, you know, Flacco scrambled for eight yards to, you know, extend that drive. Uh, it was just... It was just like, like I said, oh boy, here it comes. The Browns, they're going to do tonight what they've really done in every game that Flacco's been a quarterback with exception to that game three weeks ago against the Texans, where 
they hit you underneath and then boom, drop a bomb on you. And with the Texans, it was like bomb, bomb, bomb. They could do that. They dialed it up routinely. They didn't need the run game. They didn't need the underneath stuff. They just said, we're going to beat you over the top. And when you beat Steven Nelson, if you coming into this game, you said, oh boy, if Steven Nelson and Derek Stingley can be healthy and on the field, you know, 90% of the time tonight, you definitely like your chances more tonight than you did three weeks ago when that week 16 blowout lost to the Browns. And that happens on the first few series. It's like, oh boy, we're in for a long one. Thankfully, the Texans figured some things out defensively and ended up getting to Flacco just enough and rattling him early. Andres says, bring on the Ravens. Mario said it was a nail biter in the beginning, but CJ settled in. Yeah, that's a little spoiler alert. He did kind of settle into this game and the Texans get a huge run on the next possession by Singletary. Big pass to Mechie on the sideline, 56 yards on two plays, then a perfectly set up screen pass to Nico for six, Sean. Incredible response by the Texans after that uh, early touchdown by the Browns. Yeah, what is that, uh, two games in a row in which you've had the, the longest run, or maybe that's two out of the last three games where the Texans have had their longest runs of the season, the Singletary 24-yard uh, run a couple of weeks ago, then you get a 29-yarder tonight, and then bam, John Mechie had the game of his professional life, uh, game of the season tonight. And I think it was only three catches, 43, 44 yards, whatever it was, but they were all huge and none bigger than that 27-yard reception where I just felt like the entire stadium and probably the thousands upon thousands that were watching on their television screens and listening on the radio just said, LFG, John Mechie, big moments. Here's another opportunity for you. And he comes and he takes it. That was huge. And then, boom, Nico Collins, 15-yard touchdown strike. That was beautiful blocking on the screen right there from Laramie Tunsil. That cannot be understated. Laramie Tunsil had a badass game tonight, uh, did an incredible job against that Browns pass rush, uh, and really set the tone there, I think, with the physicality that he showed on that screen, fighting through another knee injury, friendly fire tonight. Big game for Laramie Tunsil. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, he scared me to death after that because there was the extra point. Uh, he got rolled up on by his own guy, friendly fire Jones, and, and that was worrisome. But, you know, he'd come back, like you said, next possession, Texans defense and bust in secondary continued to be an issue. I mean, that's been the thing. Uh, very first play, Flacco to Bryant, 47 yards to the 28. And, Sean, that leads to a shovel pass touchdown to Kareem Hunt. Yeah, and, and again, it was it was too easy. The 47-yard the catch and run by Bryant there, that set the tone. They went four yards, four yards, three yards, six yards, 11 yards, and then the touchdown. You know, I mean, that is why people talk so much about the big splash plays. And you probably heard, you know, the term explosive more this year than you ever had before. Well, that's the NFL. That's That's kind of you know, as as defenses try and and figure out to to, to parse and um, you know diminish these creative offenses, the offenses counter back. I mean, they're finding holes. You know, when soft zone coverages and just mistakes, when eyes get dirty, as D'Amico Ryan's like to say, you hit somebody for forty six yards, forty seven yards on a first and ten. More times than not, teams are going to score. It's just a simple fact. And for the Texans. If they're going to give those up, you have to be able to counteract that with explosives of your own. And Bobby Slowick maybe called one of the best games, maybe the best game that he had all season 
uh, to do it against a team like the Browns with that defense, with with all of the money they spent. I mean, they out-talented you. Maybe they out-athleted you. Um, to, to, to dial up what he did tonight, I, I just I was really, really impressed. Yeah, you, you took the words out of my mouth. I'm going to talk a little bit more about him in a second. Andres points out, uh, highest scoring playoff game in Texans history. I don't think I needed to look that up. <laughs> I watched all the Texans games. This was uh, pretty crazy. And then the Texans, after that score, they respond again, in which they do. And Stroud responds again. Simple throw, floats it to Brevin Jordan. 78-yard touchdown, Sean. Mm-hmm. Wow. Second longest TD catch by a tight end in playoff history, I believe. Uh, maybe so. 76 yards. It's got to be up there. Uh, whatever it is, it was uh, a game changer for the Houston Texans and uh, that offense tonight. Uh, the, the ability by Brevin Jordan, you know, to get into space is just been impressive the last month and a half. The guy's been fantastic. I thought coming into this game, Brevin Jordan Jordan was going to be one of, maybe not the, but one of the X factors for the Texans. And here's why. That Browns game, it's easy to kind of just excuse it. Let's not pay attention to it. There's nothing you can really take from it. No. Brevin Jordan only played in 25% of the offensive snaps three weeks ago against the Cleveland Browns. Prior to that, and since then, he's averaged 50% of the offensive snaps. He's been very much a part of what the Texans want to do and have really needed to do for a couple of things. One, to establish a run, get an extra tight end there for some blocking, for some disguises, and then two, on some play action stuff, which the Texans did a little bit more tonight and some bootleg you saw with Jordan in the action there. Two is... They're able to get him into space because the defense has to respect him as a blocker. And as shorthanded as the Texans had been in the receiver core, he's been very valuable. And fortunately for the Texans and Sloak and Stroud tonight, he was very, very valuable for them. And uh, none bigger than that 76-yard catch and run for a touchdown. The Texans' D gets back on track after that. Christian Harris... Nice open field tackle on a screen. We're going to get back to Christian Harris and talk about him for a long time. But Derek Barnett also, the third down sack, quick three and out. Stroud had a shot to break it open. And this was another one that, that you know, early on you had that Schultz uh, misconnection and then a wide, wide open Nico on a fly route, Sean. That, that was something I don't remember seeing it all this season from C.J. Stroud. He had the time. He stepped up in the pocket. Collins had single coverage and blew past his man, as you said, was wide open. Tell me the last time you saw C.J. Stroud airmail one of his receivers. Now, I didn't get a chance to see the replay uh, on the monitor, but everything that I'd heard in the press box was that, you know, it looked like Collins had stumbled at some point on his route, maybe right around the time where he was breaking the cushion, you know, from the defensive back. Maybe so. I mean, you could clearly see him kind of stumble as it he noticed that the ball was going to be further than his route. So he tried to, you know, speed up. It looked like it looked like just, a car. A car it reminded me of a cartoon where yeah, he, he looked, was just he like, like on the tr- treadmill, like he was trying to go real fast and he just couldn't quite get there. And he like tried yeah. to speed himself up. But you hadn't seen that. And and that was, you know, it was like, man, you know, is that going to be one of those things, you know, that you know, something like you hadn't seen before all season long rears its head, you know, tonight, like is, 
is Stroud a little too amped up? You know, that was a thought that had crossed my mind, uh, you know, there at that point in time, even though we'd seen Stroud already make a couple of really nice plays in the past game and certainly looked calm, cool, collected. It just made you think a little bit. You know, you never know when a game can turn on a dime. And it felt like, man, that could be costly. And thankfully, it wasn't. Another great defensive possession for the Texans after that. One first down and punt. Texans' last possession of the half. Let's get to that one because that's a good one. Big screen pass to Nico for some chunk yardage. Looked like they'd have it inside the 10 on a singletary run, but Mason called for kind of a weird-looking holding penalty. I, I couldn't get too mad at Mason about that one. Then Stroud finds the wide open Schultz for six, 37 yards. Sean, I'm going to piggyback off of what you said. And, and this drive just made me punctuate all of that. Slowick, beautiful play calling, misdirections. He took advantage of an aggressive Jim Schwartz defense, I thought. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, you hit the nail on the head. There's no doubt about that. And um, I thought it was really huge, you know, for Slowick to dial that up. They said, you know what, we're going to go right back to Dalton. And look, it kind of it looked, it looked like Dalton had to kind of catch that ball twice. You know, maybe maybe it was just kind of him securing it. You know, on that second little, um, you know, pump with the ball. But thirty-seven yards—that was absolutely money. I, I think that's that was another trend that we saw tonight. Where Slowick, you'd seen it with D'Amico. They're not afraid, nor should they be, to go back to guys that maybe didn't make a play before. They're going to give them another opportunity because they trust their guys. And Bobby Sloak, D'Amico Ryans, they talked about it all season, really made an emphasis, um, you know, to bring that up this week coming into this game is especially when asked, you know, about why C.J. Stroud's had so much success in down the field uh, passing game this season. It's that he really trusts his receivers. He believes in them. And that, that was a perfect example Right there, a guy that didn't make a play for you earlier in the game. You're going to dial something up. If the look is there, you're going to give him a shot. And Schultz came through in a big way. Yeah, front runner says that that pass rush came alive. And at the end of the half, beautiful play. Texans end the half with a Grenard and Will Anderson sack. Great way to end the half. Let's go to the third. We're going to come back to Will Anderson. And Sean had some stuff off the top about him. Nothing doing for the Texans on their first drive. The Browns start to put together a drive and look like they could get momentum. Grenard leaves the game. Looks like his ankle was bothering him. You're starting to worry a little bit. But then Derek Barnett steps in and forces an off-balance duck from Flacco. And, Sean, that's when Steven Nelson catches a Texas leaguer, I'll call it, gets a convoy, and it's a pick six. That uh, that pressure by Barnett, man, you know, that was his, uh, I think maybe it could have been his third pressure, but second for sure, because he had the sack earlier in the game where it was it went for an eight-yard loss early on. Dude was an absolute wrecking ball. I'm just, I'm amazed at the impact that Barnett has had. You know, you talk about uh, Khalil Davis and Tier Tart, you know, who was inactive uh, tonight, but, you know, Barnett, Adrian Amos, like there's so many guys that you have to give Nick Casario and D'Amico Ryans, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, you know, massive props for being able to identify the talent, identify the fit, 
and bring these guys in in the heart of the season and get massive contributions out of them when you need it the most. And, you know, my gosh, off the edge when you've got a banged up Will and a banged up JG and you need these guys to perform because, you know, Imagine Sanders, hey, he's been pretty solid since he's gotten some more playing time in recent weeks, but he's not, he's, he's not like a great run defender and he's a little slimmer and maybe he can get overpowered by some of your bigger tackles and there's you're limited at what you can do with him. You needed everything you possibly could have gotten out of a guy like Derek Barnett. He made that play happen, but also too, you know, Flacco and the receiver, that's the difference. You saw it in that play. In my mind, I don't care how Flacco, how old Flacco is. The fact of the matter is he does not, in six, seven weeks being the quarterback of this football team, have near the connection and chemistry that C.J. Stroud and his receivers do. Rookie or not, veteran or not, you can see it. It's clear as day. C.J. talks about the scramble drill and his receivers do all the time. They are just right here, man. And that receiver, I don't remember who it is, maybe Elijah Moore, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, that ball was intended for, the one that Nelson picked off. Um, Moore's got to recognize, you know, when he gets his head around, you know, at, at, at the middle of that route, when he's about to go and maybe break it off, he has to recognize Flacco's, you know, under a little bit duress. Break that route off. Sit down. Give your quarterback a chance. Flacco thought he was going to do that. Didn't. He threw it to where he thought Moore was going to be. And as you said, can of corn, Texas league or whatever you want to call it. Nelson made a great play and returned it for the pick six. Yeah, I want to bookmark something about Flacco and Amari Cooper. Sean, don't let me forget, but I want to keep the Texans momentum going here a little bit because um, not just that they got that convoy into the end zone from Steven Nelson, but they did it without making any stupid block in the back penalties or anything like that. Some good blocking downfield by Cashman and some of the other guys. And it was at this point that JJ Watt tweets out pick sixes in the playoff games. It's what H town does. Let's go. (laughs) And so from there, JJ not only responded to that, but guess what? He kept them going with that tweet because next possession Brown's going for it on fourth down Christian Harris who just left just a play. I think he had left maybe banged up the previous possession or something like that. Steps in front of the Flacco pass. And then, Sean, you know the rest. It's unreal. unreal. Yeah. Harris, it was on that previous defensive possession. He left on that second and six. It looked like he had a, a left wrist injury, um, at least from what I gathered. Um And so, you know, he comes out. I don't even think he went to the medical tent, just kind of shook it off. Maybe they threw some extra tape on there. Boom, is ready to go right back out for that next defensive series. And, you know, as you mentioned, gets that pick six on the fourth and two. And that was that was fantastic, man. And I I thought immediately about a couple of things that Matt Burke and D'Amico Ryans had said just this past week coming into this game when asked about Christian Harris and how much he's improved his game. They they were talking about it from the physical nature, you know, D'Amico particularly. Hey, how much have you seen Christian Harris and his growth? And he said, man, this guy has grown leaps and bounds in terms of his physicality. Well, here, what I've noticed more so over the course of the last maybe two-plus months of the season from Christian Harris is his eyes. He's identifying what's going on in the backfield, and that allows him to just use that muscle memory. He knows where he's supposed to be in his defensive assignment. He can play with almost like eyes in the back of his head. He played it perfectly, you know, sunk underneath that route, jumped it, 
and made a great play on an easy uh, pick six. You know, a lot of linebackers are going to get that. And he certainly stepped up and made a great play in that situation, did what he was supposed to do because D'Amico put him in great position. And I'm not done with Christian Harris because Brown's driving again. Christian Harris, another clutch play on fourth down, comes on the blitz, throws Flacco to the ground. And, Sean, it just made me think of 12 years Mm -hmm. ago. It was a coming out party for J.J. Watt in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. J.J. Watt wasn't this incredibly dominating player his rookie year. And this is Christian Harris' second year, but it feels more like this is kind of where everything is coming together for, for him late in his rookie year because last year, you know, it started off with those injuries and all that sort of stuff. This was the Christian Harris coming out party. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's been kind of, you know, coming out. And it's just, um, it's one of those immeasurable things. Um, you you hear a lot of guys, I would imagine, this time of year, especially uh, particularly young guys that are coming from big schools that have been on big stages, you know, maybe played in some big bowl games, you know, championship games, understand what the pressure's like, the winner go home setting. Hell, man, you know, even for rookies, the Texans have, been, have really been playing in playoff type of ball games since that second Jacksonville game this season. That was the game that, you know, you'd felt like, boy, if you could beat the Jags, then you can really solidify your position within the division. And even with the Jets loss and, you know, uh, the couple of losses that they'd suffered over the course of the last month of the season, it just kind of broke perfectly for them. It, it, when maybe they didn't even really deserve it, like the Jets game, where the Colts lost on the same day, the Jags lost on the same day, and they just kind of breathed new life into this team. And it's something that Will Anderson's talked about, like, hey, don't sleep on us. You know, we're coming. We're hungry. We want this just as bad, if not more, than anybody else. And it's because maybe a guy like Will Anderson, maybe a guy like C.J. Stroud, maybe a guy like John Mechie, you know, whoever, they had that opportunity in college and they didn't get it the way that they wanted to or they won a title and didn't get a second one. Um, Whatever it is, they want this one. And it doesn't matter if it's premature, you know, from our perspective, it's 2023, they've got the opportunity and they're viewing it like they're is entitled to, you know, um, playing the next game the following week, just as much as anybody else is. And so I think that kind of belief, wherever it really spawned from, whether it be the rookies in conjunction with the Miko, whatever he's brought and said and the culture that he's created here. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And I think that's that immeasurable difference maker that you have seen come through with guys like Christian Harris, guys like Will Anderson. Jock Cicero talked about it earlier this week, Robert. And he said, you know, we're not doing anything different in terms of preparation. You know, if we're doing something different, then we've been doing something wrong. And we believe in what we're doing. I'm paraphrasing here, but he'd said what really stuck out to me is that the only thing that I'm telling guys, and this is from Jacques Cesare, the defensive line coach, is that you have to demand more of yourself this week. And when you think you can't give any more, give more. And it sounds like a lot of fluff, but what did you see tonight from Christian Harris? What did you see tonight from Will Anderson? Jonathan Grenard, Laramie Tunsil, dudes that ain't anywhere close to 100%, and they go out and ball out, make game changing impactful plays that's powerful stuff yeah and just 
the Christian Harris thing, I, I want to just make sure people understand this. Christian Harris is starting to look like a pro baller. He's starting to look like maybe a future all pro. And you put a young guy like him in the linebacking core. You've got a young guy like Will Anderson in the defensive line core. You've got a young guy like Singletary, I mean, um, Stingley in the, in the uh, defensive back core. You've got obviously C.J. Stroud, Nico Collins. I mean, position group by position group, the Texans look like they have studs starting to pop up all over like weeds. I mean, it's just, it's nuts. And, and just for the icing on the cake, and then we'll finish off the game stuff, Devin Singletary, 19-yard touchdown. Sean, I was kind of rubbing my eyes. I'm like, wait a second, am I seeing double? Is that, say, 45 to 14 early in the fourth quarter? Yeah, it was, it was incredible, man. Um, I asked a, a few of the guys after the game, like, you know, at what point in time in this game did you feel like you had this game? <laughs> and George Fant, when the clock hit zero, because you never know, it's the NFL type of thing. You got that. Some guys said after the Harris pick six, um, other guys said, you know, when Singletary, you know, punched it in and gave us, you know, that final touchdown, that's when you kind of feel like, yeah, you know, we got it. Somebody else said, well, you know, when Davis Mills goes out there, you're feeling pretty good about it you know, in a situation like that. And um, all, all are true, really. But, yeah, you look up at that scoreboard and you see 45 points and you're just beside yourself. You don't know. You, you know what you just watched, but do you really? Um, it's just something that you hadn't seen before, not even this season. When, when, when change has been happening right before our eyes, um, when, when, when Andrew Beck is scoring an 85-yard or whatever touchdown return that was against the Jacksonville Jaguars earlier this season, and that was such a great complimentary win on all aspects, you know, that blowout win against the Jags, and then you go out and do the same thing, you know, against the Pittsburgh Steelers and you're watching this and then CJ's leading, you know, come from behind drives in the fourth quarter against the Bucks and the Bengals. This was just a team that felt slighted, that felt disrespected, that wasn't getting the national attention that it felt like it deserved, uh, despite, you know, where it had come from, this organization, uh, where it's been the last three and a half years. They felt like nobody's looking at the 2023 Texans. We're going to show them. And you saw it tonight. This was a team that was out for blood. And they damn near drew it against the Cleveland Browns. Nobody knows the early Saturday afternoon playoff game like the Texans, baby. We're the pros at it. Don't screw with us on an early Saturday afternoon playoff game. According to Next Gen Stats, Tunsil, 12 matchups with Miles Garrett, zero sacks, one pressure. You talked about Tunsil before. The guys in the comments, you know, they want they want to talk about him. They're like, "Oh, where's that guy, Miles Garrett?" Andres uh, re reminded me of the stat, but trust me, Andres, I'd had it written down. I was waiting to pull it out on you guys. Um, you know, uh, Mario says Tunsil was balling. Uh, George says, "Who's who's Miles Garrett?" Didn't hear his name all game. Um, yes, sir, Garrett. Who you know all that. So, I mean, we just got one comment after another. They, they love the fact that Laramie Tunsil just dominated that matchup when Miles Garrett was getting all the smoke before this game. Miles Garrett, three tackles, two solo tonight, no quarterback hits, no TFLs, no pass deflections. Um, he was neutralized. And I, I can't wait to go back and just look at this one again and just really watch it as, as a fan um, and just pay attention to some other stuff. But 
I can't remember the stat. I just know it was good coming into this game. The matchup between Miles Garrett and Laramie Tunsil. Laramie Tunsil's whooped that butt uh, time and time again. He's owned that matchup, and he did it tonight. That means something, man. You know, when when you because that's what they're looking at. That's what these individual players are looking at. Yes, it's about the team. Yes, it's about fitting in the scheme and doing your job. But your job, if you're Laramie Tunsil particularly, you know who's going to be lined up across from you, and it's mano y mano, and I've got to protect my quarterback. Well, that sucker did that tonight, um, you know, on the biggest stage at this point in the season and dominated, did his job, and maybe did it better considering the factors and what he himself, even within this game, had to kind of fight through, did it be- better than he ever had before in his career. Um, I-, I really believe that. You know, how scary was it when you see on a special teams play an extra point, Laramie Tunsil go down with friendly five, and you're like, holy smokes, here it is. Here it is. How much more could you possibly sustain? How much? Now it's Josh Jones' time. You know, are we going to see Fant flip over and heck come out? Like, you're playing all these scenarios in your head. And Larry Tunsil says, hell no, nah, man. Like, let's get this sucker taped up and let me go back out there. Because in my mind, I was thinking, you know what? If Tunsil knows his knee's done for and he's going to have some type of work on it, that's almost a guarantee this offseason whenever that begins for him. If it's done, tape it up. It's going to get worked on anyway. Let me see what I got. That's the kind of player that Laramie Tunsil is. Believe it or not, think what you want to think about the guy. Dude is what he likes to say everybody else is on this team, a dog. Yeah, and it's a big deal, of course, that all of these guys that we thought, you know, can we get a couple of these guys back? Everybody comes back. The only guy that doesn't play that, you know, you had any question about was Jerry Hughes. Everybody else was out there. You got, you know, just to have Robert Woods out there, you know, just to get Noah Brown out there. Maybe they don't do something, but they're more of a distraction maybe than some of the the young guys were at wide receiver. But the young guys, you know, they they did some things as well. I I do want to go back to Amari Cooper and the Browns that we faced a few weeks ago. Now, I don't know what in the world happened with Amari Cooper, but he got hurt at some point somehow because this was the first game that he played since he, you know, put the Texans in a chokehold with 265 yards. But, John, let me just point out, I rewatched that game and all of his catches. And Joe Flacco was making some Marino throws, except for two plays. You remember the one where he beats D'Angelo Ross and there was no Petrie help, and that was, you know, definitely on the Texans. There was the other one. First, I think it might have been like near, nearly the beginning of the game where they threw it over the top. They beat Steve Nelson. Yeah, first play. But after that, the rest of those throws were just great throws by Joe Flacco. And let me say, I watched early in this game, and there was a play where Amari Cooper was near the goal line. He makes the catch near the sideline, and he gets up, and he, there was nothing to it. There was nothing to it. And at that point, I thought, he's not right. He's not right. And you know what? I don't think he was right because there's, there's no way that, that they hold him. This guy, one of the best guys in the league right now, that they just totally hold him after that. And, you know, Singley did a, a good job. The Texans did a good job. But I also believe, you know, you got to say that, hey, they had an injury issue too. Well, Cooper had been banged up, you know, coming into this week, I think. Yeah, that's what I was saying. He, he hadn't played since the Texans game. Well, but none of their starters really had uh, played in the last 16 days. I mean, they were resting guys. Um, that was kind of 
edge Cleveland. You know, their starters basically had 16 days of rest where your Texans only had seven. But particularly with Cooper, you know, he'd been banged up and showed up on the injury report earlier this week, like rest day. But there was also a designation with a heel. So it could have been yeah. a heel. Yeah. Typically, there's some other things going on. Um, and look, sometimes guys get banged up and you just can't tell. They know it. You know, you, you can't see it. You could watch it over and over again. But yeah, you're right. I think it was probably a little bit of that. But I think it was also a lot of bit of this. Um I don't think it was really anything schematically that the Texans did much in terms of adjusting their game plan. You have to think about it like this. Like, okay, if you got C.J. Stroud going at quarterback versus Davis Mills, you're going to do some things differently. If you have Jimmy Ward as your safety versus now DeAndre Houston Carson and Jalen Petrie back there, you're going to do some things differently. Ward sees the game differently. DeAndre Carson sees the game differently, communicates differently with Jalen Petrie. When you have Nelson and Stingley as your corners, they're going to communicate and see things a little bit differently than maybe a D'Angelo Ross or whoever else is back there, right? And so I think in that sense, yeah, maybe you do some things differently schematically, but they made adjustments. Jalen Petrie said earlier this week that they, as a safety group, but particularly him, took what happened against the Browns very personal, and he knew that he had to fix it. Now, there are some things with his game that maybe can't be corrected, but just coming with experience and time and he'll, as he'll grow, I think it's incredible. The amount of adjustment that a guy like Jalen Petrie did over the course of the last three weeks to be in better position. Now, look, he had a bad series or two tonight. There's no question. And it, it, it hurt at the time a little bit, the Texans, defensively. But they were able to get to Flacco, which to me is the difference maker. Flacco makes hell of a throws three weeks ago because he had time to do so. Yeah. Tonight it was not the case. Now, you didn't hit Flacco 12 times and sack him six times, but you hurried some throws. Barnett, the pressure to force a poor decision and to get Elijah Moore and Flacco off on the diff on different pages, that was a difference maker. The pressure forced a throw out of him. You know, maybe if he has a hair second longer to make a decision, he airmails that ball or throws it out of bounds. Who knows? I didn't do the math, but it seemed like D'Amico dialed up some blitzes that I didn't see him dialing up early in the Browns game or really in the in the first Browns game much at all. I just thought there was more variety. There were some timely blitzes as well. I thought all that stuff matters, at least even if you don't didn't get there a couple of times, you just get in his head a little bit. You make him think a little bit, and that's part of the whole cat and mouse game. Um, you know, one of the things I got to talk about, Sean, before we get going is um, Nick Casario. Look, that guy took some hits over the last few years from Texans fans. Mm-hmm. We didn't like a lot of the stuff that he did. A lot of this stuff, we're not sure if it worked out. Kenyon Green, we were worried about Stingley a few a few weeks ago, the injuries, um, you, you had some questionable picks. We weren't sure. I mean, there was a lot of stuff with Nick Casario. Let me just throw this at you. This is Nick Casario's draft picks in their first ever playoff game. First ever playoff game. CJ Stroud, you know that story. Third round pick, Nico Collins, six catches, 96 yards, one touchdown. Fifth round pick, Nick Casario. Brevin Jordan, 76-yard touchdown pass. First-round pick, Will Anderson. One sack and one tackle for loss while playing on a bum ankle. Third-round pick, Christian Harris. Eight tackles, 
one sack, two TFLs, and a pick six. And hey, how about second round pick John Mechie, three catches, 44 yards, and a nine-yard run. And then the guys that aren't going to show up much in the stats, but they had good games. Second round pick Juice Scruggs and first round pick Derek Stingley looked good. And this isn't even with Tank Dell and Jared Patterson, who didn't get a chance to play, but we know what those guys can do. Sure. You mean you could take it a little bit further. I know you're just talking about draft choices and look, uh, the proof is in the results, right? But go out and talk about the acquisitions, you know, in free agency and the talent evaluation from guys that he brought in off the street, you know, the last couple of years during the lean years, the crap years, the teardown years, Blake Cashman, you know, second on the team in tackles tonight, who's been larger than Blake Cashman down the stretch, you know, being that solid thumper, that consistent guy in coverage, you know, was that linebacker uh, for the Texans the last month coming back from injury, performing the way that he did tonight to me, he was just as important as a guy like Will Anderson and Jonathan Grenard as those guys coming into this game limited. Blake Cashman was going to be that guy that, man, you really needed to step up and make plays to contain the run and prevent, you know, a guy like David Njoku from getting loose underneath, which, look, you know what, you were going to give something up tonight. You, you wanted to limit the explosives. You wanted to shut down the run game. Browns were going to have to dial up the quick pass game. They did that a couple of times tonight. It did hurt you a couple of times with the explosives. And Joku had a, one or two of them, I think it was, um, you know, for big gains and maybe the touchdown too uh, earlier. Um, and so you go up and down the list, man. Uh, Derek Barnett, like I'd said, I don't, I don't know, you know, how the executive of the year kind of a thing shakes out, what's being talked about. Nick Casario, if I was to guess, is probably going to get about as – much respect as this Texans team got coming into this game against the Browns, to be honest with you, which is little to none. But it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's absolute X factor. And the fact that, you know, what he'd said two weeks ago, this stuck out to me. And I think people need to talk about this more. And when there's time to do it, we can focus on it even more because this is a massive offseason for the Texans whenever that begins. But the fact that D'Amico Ryan said this, the way that he'd said it, they see football the same between him and Casario. It's evident, man. It's evident. The talent evaluation, being able to identify guys that can help this football team right now. You could be in the system for a week. You could be in the system for a couple of days, Kareem Jackson, <laughs> right? Come on down and contribute. Help us out. All of that's been valuable for the Texans. Yeah, another thing that, you know, Casario just took bullets for machine gun style bullets for. I don't think you and I were quite as upset, but we were questioning trading all those picks and the picks that he gave up to get Will Anderson. With this game, with this game, the Texans, guess what? They're going to have a better pick because they traded the Browns pick instead of the Texans pick. And that's probably one of our biggest criticisms of that deal. He wins. Casario wins because guess what? He traded away the right first round pick. And it turns out it was a late first round. You're not getting Will Anderson, Arizona Cardinals with a late first round pick. You're not getting Will Anderson with the 12th pick that you got from us last year. You're, you didn't get Will Anderson with that 33rd. We got Will Anderson. That was the right move. He won that. Nice. Yeah. 
Yeah, I never questioned it, man. I mean, if you're going to be bold, be bold. Um, and an organization that had self-inflicted, uh, but put themselves through what they did over the course of the last, you know, three and a half years going into the draft this past April, um, you had to be bold and you had to do whatever it was going to take um, when, <laughs> you know, you, you, you knew from day one when you weren't going to have that number one overall pick, it was time to go to work and you had to make the right decision on a quarterback and maybe you could even couch it like this. Our backs up are against the wall. We're just going to go get the second best guy in this draft and see what we can do with C.J. Stroud. I don't care how you couch it. You may never know the truth. You may never know how much, uh, if any at all, you know, Cal had to do with what they did at number two overall. If that trade up for Will was really a trade up for C.J. Stroud, you know, however you wanted to couch them manipulating the draft doesn't matter. They got two cornerstone pieces with picks two and three in this draft. And in your mind, before they play a snap of football, it's this could be the start of something beautiful, but it could be an absolute miss on both. I think by now you can see it won't be, it hasn't been, it's not. This, in fact, is the start of something really, really special, I think, around here so long as those two guys particularly um, you know, stay healthy and can suit up every weekend for the Texans. The thing about being an NFL GM is you're going to have misses. You're going to screw stuff up. You're going to have big misses. Sometimes you swing big and you miss big. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have to look and judge these guys by all of the decisions. And we start adding them up. And as as we've gone along this year, there's more and more in that. Oh, he got that one right. That's in the check column. That's in the check column. That's in the check column. And maybe none of it matters without C.J. Stroud. Probably a lot of it doesn't matter without C.J. Stroud. But, I mean, so much of that stuff is coming up roses. Even if Kenyon Green, you know, falls through, Jalen Petrie, I don't know. I watched him in this game, and I just I keep going, what do they see in him? I don't get it. I mean, I still don't think he knows that he has arms oh. and hands. But, um, yeah, I just – it's. It, it, but those can, they they can those can be misses because you made so many huge hits. It looks like. Yeah, look, I, I can see the absolute potential in, in Jalen Petrie and w- what what he's missing on. Those are correctable things, and I think um, over time, you know, you can harness some of those things. In you want a guy that has that aggressive nature to him that that recklessness but also is a student of the game and of his craft and just hadn't figured a way to put the two together yet i'll tell you what like i trust D'Amico ryan's and this defensive staff however much it is maintained this offseason who we can get to stick around um and not presumably not everybody's going to be back i mean it's the nfl it happens that way but as long as D'Amico is heading this thing up i trust that he's going to be able to fix these young guys uh at least you know the correctable things and get Jalen to you know focus on you know his particular job within the scheme i, I D'Amico called it dirty eyes you know where he you know what you're supposed to do but you don't trust it all the way because you have a wondering eye. You see this, and you're not trusting your teammate to be in the right area and make a play. So you try to go up and make a play, but you know you're costing 
the team by not playing discipline, not playing within the scheme. You hear that used all the time, a lot with the defensive line, you know, rushing together, doing your job. Sacks will come. Don't aim for stacks and stats. If you do your job, that's going to come naturally. So true. You've seen it over the course of the last couple of months with Will Anderson's results, Jonathan Grenard's results, you know, throughout the entire season. So I don't worry about that with him. Um, second year, it's it's been a pretty fruitful one to be honest with you. He's getting some fantastic on the job training and some big time moments. So uh, from him, you want to go house money, fine. But the fact that you can pull his butt off of a field and replace him with a guy like Adrian Amos or a DeAndre Carson, um, when you lost MJ Stewart and Eric Murray, Eric Murray so early this season, that's another testament to D'Amico Ryan's and Nick Casario and their talent evaluation. Yeah, and it also helps that D'Amico is probably making these guys look better. We know we should say that. It helps to have a D'Amico Ryan's. It maybe gets the most out of some of these guys that Casario is giving, and maybe the other coaches that we saw over the last two years weren't getting the most out of them. I just want to ask you, Sean, because you were in the locker room, anything that we haven't talked about that you saw from the guys in the locker room, anything you heard, from, anything that you heard from any of them that's uh, worth talking about? Man, there's a lot. I talked to a lot of guys. Uh, I, I They all kind of went at the same time. I missed two dudes that uh, I wish I could have been on, but I made a choice. It was like Nico went at the same time as Jonathan Grenard, as Brevin Jordan. <laughs> it was just kind of crazy. Brevin was really good, I heard. Jonathan Grenard was fantastic. But uh, I have to say, you know, Nico Collins and Will Anderson uh, – there's no element of them playing with house money, man. They're hungry. And this, th this is a moment that they believe is theirs to take. And Will Anderson was asked, you know, right off the bat, Hey, what was it going to take tonight for you to come off of that football field? And he said something to the effect of good Lord was going to have to, <laughs> you know, say it was my time or something like he was going to have to die you know, on this football field for them to carry him off. And that was the only way that was going to happen. And I just thought it was, you know, pretty amazing. You know, I'd said, hey, you know, look after the injury, you know, you get banged up there a little bit. You hit the medical tent, you're going out, you're doing sprints and boom, you're right back in the football game. It's like you got stronger. It, it's it, it's something clicked. And it's just that immeasurable belief factor that I, I, I think is just you, you can't you can't measure. And I think that's what you saw on display tonight with a guy like Will Anderson. And um, that's that's a large part what fuels this team. And I, I just think the belief throughout you could talk to a rookie, you could talk to, you know, seven, eight year vet guy like George Fant, you know, whoever it didn't matter. It's the same across the board. So I, I think that's. That was my biggest takeaway from the locker room just off the top of my head. Uh, it's going to be interesting throughout the week. You know, you, you, you see, uh, you know, it depends on what, how things shake out tomorrow. You're going to be playing the Ravens, whatever the case may be, home, away, whoever it is next weekend. Um, that's what the focus is going to become. And I got to say, we're going to end up talking about that game just like we did this one. So long as you got number seven back there, and there's a chance that your defense can be close to full strength in terms of guys being available, they're going to have a chance to win. And, again, when you can have a guy like Will Anderson, if he's 30%, 40%, doesn't matter, out on the football field, he's going to give you 100. 
you know that. And so you got to feel pretty good about it uh, in that respect. And so that belief factor, that's, that was my biggest takeaway from, uh, from post game. Yeah. I got, I got to say this just from my perspective of watching Houston NFL football for these years, Oilers, Texans. I just want to tell the fans out there, if you're a younger fan or if you haven't, you know, followed this stuff for that long, I want you people to enjoy this no matter what happens next week. What's happening right now is about as fun as you can have watching an NFL team. You've got all of these young guys that are performing out of their mind. You're overachieving. There's no expectation. You're shocked at everything that they do that's great. This is unbelievable. This is really the most anticipating anticipating greatness that I've had for a Houston NFL team. You got to go back probably to the Oilers in the early 90s because I knew, we, okay, we got Warren Moon, and then they brought in Jack Pardee, and I thought, that's okay, that's a great coach. And we got all, and I'm looking around, and there's all this talent everywhere. And that's the same thing it is with the Texans. When Deshaun came in, I was excited, but I was scared because, you know, Bill O'Brien, I didn't trust him, never trusted him. Just like I think every fan, nobody trusted him. Nobody trusted Bill O'Brien. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was much trust in the general managers at that time either. There's been no point in this organization's history where you could be this excited. I mean, as good as the Texans were in 11 and 12, Matt Schaub's going to win a Super Bowl? I don't know about that. I don't trust that guy late in games, whatever. I yeah. mean, this is it, Sean. It's been almost 30 years. You know what's uh... – it's, it's just it's so, it's so cool. It's just like – like basking it, basking it yeah. for the next few days. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, I, if I was to kind of compare uh, what we might be experiencing and seeing with this team to, you know, another sport, another team that we've kind of seen this from in town, maybe this is the 2015 Astros, like where you're like, whoa, holy crap, like they did just enough to get in. And then, boom, you push the Royals to, you know, a game six. And, man, this could be us. I, I, I don't know. Is it 2017? Who knows? Just enjoy the ride. But you referenced like, you know, the Schaub Texans. Like, I think it's, I think it's so funny. And it's, it, it's really um, maybe, maybe the epitome of, you know, what we do to ourselves, you know, and have done over the course of time as Houston sports fans, we look back upon our past way more fondly than we did whenever we were living it. I don't remember at any point in time <laughs> feeling like any Schaub-led Texans team had a chance, a real chance, to win a Super Bowl, much less get to an AFC championship game. You know, And that's, and that's even it, though we, you, you and I, <laughs> we saw Trent Dilfer win a Super Bowl. We yeah. saw we saw some some, I've seen some, you know, kind of crummy quarterbacks over the history of, of the NFL win a super and still, even with all that, I'm like, wait a second, Shab, I mean, we have got to luck into this thing as big as you can luck into it to get Shab to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. I just think it's funny like how people talk about those days now and it wasn't it really wasn't that long ago. You know, and it's just like, man, you know, yeah, they had a real opportunity. If Shab wouldn't have gotten hurt, you know, who knows? It's like Come on, man. <laughs> you know, like I'm so ready to just live 
in in this era of Houston Texan football, there's not much you can look back on fondly uh, with what you know has happened over the 21, 22 year history of this organization. There were some good times. I still remember, you know, enjoying uh, some great regular season wins, some primetime games that wound up as losses, and I had a great night. Fun time covering a team, enjoying it as a fan, whatever the case may be. Um, you might be inter- in entering, um, you know, an era of football in Houston that if you're a love you blue survivor, if you're a newbie, that you may never experience again in your life. Uh, it's not for you to kind of pour over and predict and uh, anticipate. It's just live in the moment. Enjoy it because... It goes by really, really fast, such is life. But, I mean, seriously, how often do you get the opportunity on a football team, man, where you get so much young talent to come in at the same time and can really look forward to watching them grow together for the next three, four, five years and beyond, depending upon who you can and want to pay. Uh, that's going to be a very fun part of the process to uh, um, you know, look forward to in, in, in the coming years. Yeah, in the NFL, more than any other sport, it changes like that. Yeah. You know, there's an injury, you know, something goes wrong, you know, knock on wood. But, I mean, this is – I'm not saying anything that we haven't thought about and are scared about. And you go to bed every night and you're like, oh, please let – and I don't have to say the name of the person. Please let this guy stay healthy for the next few years because, man, oh, man, it would be fun if he could stay healthy. But, I mean, just to have D- D'Amico – and, you know, a, a coach that I think the fan base just genuinely likes and loves. And, Sean, I guess the final thing that I'll say about D'Amico, because we got to talk about D'Amico just for a second. Being a Houston fan, you know, other sports, other I should say other teams and other sports, they get jerks and they win with jerks. And one thing that I love about Houston teams is when they've had their success, the jerks haven't won. The really guys, the really great guys, the guys that we love are the coaches. Bum Phillips, we loved him. Great guy. Um, A.J. Hinch, we loved A.J. Hinch. Great guy. Phil Garner, Larry Durker. Rudy T. Rudy T. Um, guy V. Lewis. Um, you could go, we, I could Kelvin. do this. All, Kelvin, you know, Kelvin Sam, Van Chancellor. A little bit further, <laughs> you know, band chance. I mean, just, yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many uh, in, in all the sports and it's not the bad guys. That's that we've won with. It's the good guys. And, and it's, it's so good to have a team that you like, you love the coach and you love the players and you don't have to go, well, I got to hold my nose <laughs> for this guy. Uh, I love all the rest of them, but I got to hold my nose for this guy. At this point, the Texans don't have the hold your nose guy right now. They don't, and I don't even want to imagine what could have been, <laughs> you know, because you might have to hold your nose if, you know, certain scenarios don't play out like they did. Um, but it also would have meant that, uh, you know, we wouldn't have endured the last three and a half years as Houston Texan fans like we did. But I'm glad you don't have to go through those hypotheticals and uh, do revisionist history and stuff like that. To heck with it. Um, but you're right. This this team, for everything the organization you know had put itself through, put its fans through, alienated them. Um, the whole bit 
they they've really turned on a dime and they've got some in, they're incredibly fun to watch they're likable they're watchable they're respectable and those are all of the things that you know you were counting all of the good people that have made up really good teams sometimes not great teams but good teams competitive teams perennially really good and competitive teams made up you know you're right hey, maybe not everybody was a great dude but hey look you know what there's a reason why you ignorance is bliss kind of a thing you know there's a reason why i don't necessarily want to know everything uh possible about a particular player i just want my football as my football on sunday i want my baseball as my baseball basketball is my basketball you get the drift and um sometimes when you're in this business you know like you and me you learn things about particular individuals that you rather not have learned or heard or read about or seen uh maybe even firsthand you wish you just wouldn't have because you think differently of a certain of a player with this houston texans team man it's uh for what i've seen and what i know i'm really really liking it and i was proud of nrg stadium particularly tonight because i don't know how it played out watching it on tv you can attest to this a little bit robert but i'll tell you what there's a stark difference from my view in the press box today versus what I'd witnessed week 16 when the Cleveland Browns came into NRG. There's a lot more Browns fans there then than there were tonight. A lot more brown, a lot more orange then than there was tonight. I was skeptical coming in. Purple lot was full of them. Orange lot, that's all that was there. It's like the entire city of Cleveland had transported into the orange lot outside of the Astrodome between that and NRG tonight. I was like, whoa, this is going to be interesting. Texan fans showed up loud and proud. Um, the hashtag we are Texans, you know, all, all the fans, they should be very, very proud of themselves tonight for representing uh, the football team and factoring into this game, because that is to something that all of the players recognized after afterwards. Yeah, it, it sounded great at, at, at home. I, I felt like this was the Texans crowd that I saw that J.J. Watt interception game, it was the that, that was the kind of electricity that you saw there. It's hard to compare, like, oh, it was a little bit better, a little bit worse, but at least it was more like that than the Bill O'Brien playoff games that I remember. I, I, I went to most of those games. So, you know, to me, yeah, it, it definitely sounded uh, pretty good. Uh, a couple of things. Um, Sean's going to have a pretty big announcement, so stay tuned to that as we continue to do the shows he's got a real great opportunity coming up uh pretty pretty soon also we'll do our midweek show on wednesday so we're going to preview the next game talk about all the news that's going on hopefully we don't have to be talking about an injury report like we have we've had to do so many (laughs) for the recent weeks that would be nice to to have a whole show on wednesday without going over the 4,000 injuries. I mean, I'm not going to be breaking any news to you right here. It's You're going to be watching the same guys, looking out, listening for the same guys this week as you did the last few weeks uh, going into the next game. Uh, you know, Noah Brown, uh, that's, a, that's a big one. Uh, the fact that the Cleveland Browns tonight had to prepare for, you know, that particular receiver, what he looks like in their offensive scheme. That's a difference maker, man. You know, the fact that uh, you may not have him going into next weekend, that's a big one. You're going to have to look out for Brown, Woods, Tunsil, J.G., Anderson, you know, your regulars. I hate to say it, but your regular guys. And so, um, yeah, make sure you keep it a, keep it here on uh, Houston Sports Talk uh, during the week. Hit us up on Twitter, 
Uh, I've got fresh content every day at Sean Bajani, SportsRadio610.com, every single day, updates. And uh, I'll have a complete breakdown of this game. It's probably going to keep my ass up to about 4 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I'm guessing, tonight. Uh, trying to put it together for you guys so you'll be able to check it out tomorrow morning at some point. Yeah, definitely Rockets content. I had a guest last week. I, I have somebody planned for tomorrow. So on a Sunday, you're like, oh, I don't have any Houston sports because usually I'm used to Texans at noon on Sunday. Well, around a little bit after that time, look for um, a show that we're going to throw up there. And also just want to thank you guys and, you know, keep bringing people aboard. I, I, I really appreciate, you know, all the new fans that we're getting and uh, love it. I, you know, just amazed at how many more people are, are watching and listening. And I hope this continues that this just isn't a Texan thing that you guys will stay with us because, you know, there'll be a Texans off season. We'll be talking about it, but the other stuff comes up and Hey, the Astros, by the way, they just, they have a pretty good little organization over there and they're doing a lot of good stuff. And the Rockets, you know, have really been a surprise this year and been fun to watch and a lot of fun stuff with them. But uh, thanks everybody who's out there for your comments. And uh, we really appreciate it. The Texans, the Houston Texans, that won three games last year, three games the entire season, have now won 11 games, and they are two wins away. Put that in your brain for a second. They are two wins away, Sean, from a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl. Let's get it. (laughs) Let's get it. Enjoy the ride, man. I'm here for it. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.